0: Uleman says, I was so angry at that preacher. On the way home, I told my wife, Have you ever seen anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? I found it disgusting. And she said, I've never heard anything like that. It was manipulative. It was disgusting. It was insensitive. Worst of all, it was true. <laughs> Are you ever struck? with the diversity that exists within the body of Christ. How different traditions, different denominations express their commitment to Christ. It's just such a a great variety of, of experiences and expressions within which the truth of the gospel is found. One of the things that I love the most about our life together here at Applewood is is the variety of church traditions that, that, that we bring, faith backgrounds that, that we bring to our experience. It, it can make for some fun conversations if we don't take ourselves too seriously, and uh, for getting to know one another better, and uh, deepening appreciation for what God is doing through a lot of different experiences and, and veins that, that are nece- not necessarily uh, a part of ours. And... Uh, Sometimes we we bring assumptions to the table about certain things that are not necessarily shared by those who are there. But if we're willing to to allow the Spirit to to have control in those situations and give us the ears to hear and and to speak with love and grace and gentleness, those conversations can be so fruitful. But uh, church traditions and church backgrounds indeed can be challenging if they're not like our own. I grew up in a church that was, was more than just a little suspicious of other traditions, viewing with distrust teachings and theological positions that came from certain churches, certain individuals, traditions that were that were on the suspect list. I was a sophomore in college when I began dating Sharisa. You can only imagine the conversations I had with my parents especially my mom when they found out that she grew up in the Southern Baptist Church which is a part of those Holy Rollers known as the Southern Baptist Convention. You'll be happy to know my wife has become a believer in Jesus. For my parents... For my parents, that was a God-have-mercy-on-my-son moment. Because, you see, there were, there were just certain things in my church that didn't pass the litmus test. And one of them was a 12-letter word that was more of a four-letter word that Heather's going to put on the screen for you. Denomination boy, well, now there's an evil thought. You see, the church that I grew up in was an independent Bible church. I'm not sure which we took more pride in the Bible or our supposed independence. But denomination was a dirty word. Online definition of that word is a large group of, of religious congregations united under a common faith and name and organized under a single administrative and legal hierarchy. Now, the church tradition that I grew up under was very concerned about that hierarchy concept. Thinking of it as more of perhaps a monarchy with someone at the top of it who was a bit power hungry and usually not very honest. That was my tradition. So you might wonder, what did I do? Well, being the respectful, compliant son that I was, a little less than four years later, I married that woman. (laughs) The two of us joined yet another denomination. It was called the Evangelical Covenant Church. What on earth was that? And what had we done? Truth be told, I think even Sharice's folks were maybe a little concerned because she had moved from the largest Protestant denomination in the world to undoubtedly one of the smallest. At least there was nobody in their circles who had ever heard of it. Was it, was it a cult? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Sharice and I had been a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church affectionately referred to as the ECC, for 34 years now. And I have been serving in that denomination for about 27 and a half years, and they have been wonderful years. Now, I know I don't talk a whole lot about denominations. I don't talk a lot about our denomination. That's because if you know me, you know that my highest loyalty is always to the kingdom of God. But but the truth is this, my experience of life in God's kingdom has been greatly enriched and it has been deepened immensely because of my affiliation with the Evangelical Covenant Church. It is a denomination that always has been and continues to press to be committed to a wide variety and the diversity of God's people that make up his kingdom on earth. They have been folks who have always wanted to join hands with those who are followers of Jesus. In the words of the psalmist, I am a companion of all those who fear you. Those have been some of the words that have defined our denomination since its earliest days. And, And the commitment to being united has been a driving force for reaching out and for partnering with others across the denominational spectrum because unity among the people of God has been a high priority for the sake of the gospel, passion, since since the denomination began here in the States in the mid-1800s. And I tell you all of this this morning because if you've looked in your bulletin, you've, you've found a flyer in there that has to do with Hope Sunday. It's... Uh, It's a day that is designated by our denomination to celebrate something that's incredibly exciting that is happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's not a day that that any congregation has to celebrate. It's a day that, that folks choose to celebrate. And it just seemed right to my heart, and as I shared it with the staff, that we would would give a little bit of attention to Hope Sunday on the day that follows Resurrection Sunday. When we celebrate great hope that God has given to us in Christ, Uh, what an opportunity for us to consider what form that hope can take flowing out of our lives into the lives of others. Hope Sunday celebrates a ministry that is fairly new in the life of our denomination, just two or three years old, called Covenant Kids Congo. And it is the largest ever partnership between an organization that many of us know well called World Vision and our denomination. The covenant has been in the remote province called Equator in the Congo since 1937. World Vision has been in other areas of the Congo for 40 years, and they've, they've joined forces in Ecuador, and this partnership has been providing what many are calling an amazing journey of, of transformation that, uh, that just multiplies what seems to be an amazing and effective spiritual work of taking the gospel into this very impoverished area. And it is just being owned and, and done well by the Congo Covenant Churches. It's a proven community development model that is happening. Uh, and uh, it's sustainable, has long-term solutions, and it's built, quite frankly, on World Vision's 60 years of experience as they have sought to build a better world for children everywhere. And so Covenant Kids Congo, quite honestly is a child sponsorship program that is transforming life for children and their families and entire communities in one of the most needy countries in the world. Some of you perhaps are familiar with the name Human Development Index, known in sociological circles as the HDI. It's a standard of measure that is used by the United Nations to assess a country's rate of growth in specifically three areas, health, education, and income for its people. The Democratic Republic of Congo has been consistently at the bottom of the list for many, many years. In fact, in 2012, out of 187 countries, it was number 187. It is potentially one of the richest countries in the world, when you look at their natural resources, all kinds of gems, all kinds of precious metals, it's amazing what exists in the Congo. But they are a country that has been plagued by corruption, by war, dictatorship, and of course the AIDS crisis has made the Congo one of the poorest countries in the world. 59% of the people live on less than $1 a day. 20% of the children do not live to age 5. 75% of the population has no access to clean water. Life expectancy is 48 years. 5.4 million people have died in the Congo in some of the bloodiest conflicts seen in decades, 1.7 million people are considered displaced within their own country. Poverty and lawlessness are chronic. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this, there has been amazing hope that has come through this partnership to this very remote Equator province. It's the poorest of Congo's provinces, but the work there that has been going on has been amazingly blessed by the Lord. There are 1600 congregations. That's more than twice the number of congregations that we have in the United States. 1,600 congregations, there are five hospitals, there are 90 medical clinics, and there is a school system that is serving 60,000 students and micro-enterprise projects are just growing, blossoming every day. God is doing some amazing things. And Heather, if we can uh, play that DVD and get just a little bit better uh, visual of, of this partnership and what is happening. Great stuff going on. Great stuff going on. The transformation in people's lives and communities, the stories just flow out of the uh, the effort of this partnership. Let's um let's stand together this morning as we think about those issues of fresh water and health and hygiene education and agricultural training and animal husbandry education and literacy and All of that combined with bringing the good news of Jesus to an area that has experienced such great pain and brokenness. With those thoughts in our minds, let's read from James this morning. A little bit from the uh, first chapter and then a few verses into James chapter 2. Together. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes And a poor person in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the one who is poor, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. James is. Digging rather deep into a, a heart condition that, that troubles all of us. And the reality is, is the, book of, the James, book of James has often troubled God's people. If you uh, know anything about church history, you'll know that uh, it was debated back and forth. Uh, wondering in terms of whether or not it should be included in the canon. Some felt yes, some felt no. Luther, you might know, was not a great fan of James at all, claiming that it contradicts Paul's teaching on justification by works. On the other hand, a few centuries later, John Wesley loved the book of James, and quoted it often in his, his teaching. The conviction of the book, in a nutshell, is that faith in Jesus Christ cannot be separated from works in the lives of those who claim to have that faith in Christ. We do good works not in order to gain our salvation. We do good works because Christ has done a marvelous work For us, because of his grace, James' idea is that that grace flows out of the lives of God's people and, 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 and and it flows so closely out of that work of grace that it can at times appear as if persons are indeed working to gain the honor of God, but in fact they are working to honor others because they have been the ones who have been honored by God. We as God's people, we do good works because Christ has done a marvelous work for us. Good works, I think, are evident. Evidence that that, that we understand grace and we are living in response to that grace toward others. Make sense? Yeah? Did you notice those opening words? Those who consider themselves religious but do not control their tongues <clears throat> are deceived and their religion is worthless. <laughs> in contrast to that, James says that what really counts with God is not that we are talking about how religious we are and how committed we are, but in fact what really counts as genuine religion that James describes before God is that we are giving care to others. And he identifies two categories of people, widows and orphans. And it's interesting if we think, why those folks? Because they would clearly be the most vulnerable people group in that society. Women were defined in that first century by the role of wife to their husband. It was a male-oriented society. And so the definition of a woman came in her relationship to her husband. And without the husband, a woman basically had no identity. Children were not greatly valued, And there was no welfare. There was no public safety net that would provide for these folks. James is saying that God's people must be those who give themselves to the care of others, who do not discriminate, who do not give themselves in terms of honor and blessing and provision to those who have something to give back. That is the theme that runs through these first two chapters of James. Give to those who have nothing to give. Display God's grace and God's love to those who have nothing to bless you in return. James is all about living out faith in Jesus in ways that demonstrate our understanding of grace. Grace, as we know, is always undeserved as we have received undeserved grace, so we ought to live toward others, especially those in need. Okay, Heather, can we put our next slide up? We read these words together. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Here's a question I want you to just talk with your neighbor, for a couple of minutes, is James suggesting that there is a special relationship between faith and those who are poor. What do, you, what do you hear him saying there in those words? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? To inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Ask your neighbor. What do you think? What's James driving at there? Okay, we ready? Ready? I hate to interrupt. Some Sundays it's easy to interrupt you. <laughs> but this one, that it just seems like there's some really good conversation going on here. <clears throat> what do you think, Ellen? Go ahead, start us off. Oh, wow. When God is all you have, you realize that he is all you need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Excellent. What else? What else? What other thoughts from neighbors? I thought of that same thing this week, John, that exact story. We, we, uh, we had it a few weeks ago together when Jesus let the, the rich man walk away. He, he was looking for that full surrendered heart, and, and it wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some of you remember Daniel Cisse, and uh, you might know that you know he would tell the story. Of when learning as a young boy the Lord's Prayer, those words, Give us today our daily bread. Daniel said to me one time, we prayed that, the words just more easily flow from our mouths because we aren't concerned about where our next meal is coming from normally. Significant stuff here. I I, I think <clears throat> I think what we don't want to do is reach some kind of a conclusion here that, that faith is only for those who are poor in the world's appearance. I I don't think that's what James is saying. I think the language really allows for us to to understand that James is saying that there's something, (coughs) excuse me, I don't know where this frog's coming from. There's something about persons who are poor who have nothing in this world, as some of you have expressed, there is an openness to the Lord and to his goodness, and because their heart is not cluttered with the preservation and the protection of all the stuff that we can easily spend our times our time taking care of uh, that that faith that faith grows that faith grows and 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 is easily nurtured by the spirit of god in the lives of those persons god loves dependency we've said that before we were not created to be independent in fact i think when we're talking about god's people the word created and independence never fit in the same sentence. To have wealth and possessions, and by the Congo standards, we are all fabulously wealthy, it it can lead us to the illusion that somehow we're not dependent upon anyone. But in fact, we are dependent upon God, the one who gives us all things. On the other hand, those who are poor and have nothing, I think their awareness of dependence is keen, desperately dependent upon others to even survive. In this life, James is is saying that those who have nothing are fertile soil for the work of God's Spirit. And I think that that is often God's design. His work in the lives of desperate people produces rich faith. Oh, Alfredo, thank you. Thank you, thank you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you so much. So, make sense? James is, is, is hitting at something that is, that is, I think, really at the core of, of all of our hearts. The gospel, as I said earlier, the gospel of Jesus is, has grown a larger church in the Congo than, than in the U.S. in far less time. Lives are being changed and, and hope is, is growing through this amazing program. So this morning, my friends, is just an invitation for you to prayerfully consider could I be a part of this? Does God want me to be a part of this? You know, I guess my, my heart to each of you would be, you know, don't just close the book on it without asking the Lord. Is this something you want me to be a partner in? Spirit of God, is, is this something that you are, are, are putting before me because I need to consider, because maybe I need to take this step and, and grow and stretch? And I know that, that, uh, that so many of us are, are giving to so many causes all around the world. There's, there is never a doubt in my mind that we are such a generous congregation. So, so generous in so, so many ways. I think it's just worth considering how little $40 a month is to us compared to the people of the Congo. It brings such amazing change did a little quick math. You'll, you'll be proud of me. That is about a dollar and thirty four cents a day. Now, that uh, that's less in a thirty one day month, and then of course in February that amount jumps up to a dollar and forty three cents a day. <clears throat> For those little tokens, there is there is clean water and education and healthcare and food resources. And economic development, and most importantly, right alongside of that is the gospel of Jesus. The heart of child sponsorship is the, is the denominational desire, the covenant's desire to end extreme poverty in that country. That astounds me. That's the goal. Let's end it. Let's make the Congo a different place. The covenant has historically been about God's glory and neighbor's good. And seeking this kind of a long-term, sustainable development in the Democratic Republic of Congo is simply an extension of that mission. It's a call to seek the transformation of individuals and families and communities and and systems within that country. So, I would just ask you this morning to prayerfully consider what part you might be in it. You know, I was struck this week as I was anticipating the, the, the children and their faces and thinking about us and, and seeing our children here this morning. We are a congregation that take children seriously. They are so precious to us. You know, we've often heard that statement, you know, that, that children are the future of the church. They are. But what about now? Children are an amazing part of who we are now. We invest in them because they are a part of what God is doing here and now at Applewood. And I just wonder if we might be able to expand our reach and to include a few more children in the Applewood family. Now, granted, they're 8,000 miles away. But, you know, in, in God's kingdom and his economy, um, I'm not sure that that's such an obstacle. So praise team, why don't you come forward and, and get uh, ready to lead us as we respond this morning in worship. Just want to call attention to you again to the bulletin that's in your flyer. Uh, the, the, the bulletin's in your flyer. The flyer that's in your bulletin. Yeah, that thing. I think it looks something like this. It says Hope Sunday on it. And uh, that would just give you some information that you need. There is a website that you can go to if you're interested in knowing more. You can go to that website and you can search for for a child. What a family event that might be. To think, do we want a boy? Do we want a girl? How old do we want him or her to be? All of that information is possible. You can do a search and, and find some precious uh, child in the Congo who could be a part of your family. You know, if you're walking out of here today and you know the spirit's grabbed your heart and you're saying, I gotta do this, I'm in. You don't want to wait till you get home. There are these kinds of brochures and they're out on the table in the lobby and all the information that you need. You can look at faces and names, and you can just pick one. Pick ten. Take them home with you. And there are instructions that are right in this bulletin that will tell you what you need to do next and how to go about this. So thanks this morning. I know it's been a bit different sermon than we are more accustomed to, and yet I I think it's been a really important sermon for us. To be reminded of the scope of need, to be reminded that we are, first of all, people of the kingdom of God, and that's just a whole lot bigger than our slice that we see and experience here on Sunday morning. But yet, thankfully so, we're part of this movement called the Evangelical Covenant Church that recognizes the size of that kingdom, the diversity, the importance of unity despite the diversity. And uh, we have an opportunity to partner together and to reach an incredibly needy, hurting place in the world. The scripture reminds us that Jesus took children in his arms and he blessed them. And he told the adults that were standing around, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs such as these. Amen.